Welcome to Pursue Wisdom, the teaching podcast of Bethlehem Church in Austin, Minnesota. I'm Pastor Paul Steele, and we are in a sermon series called Asking for a Friend. We all have questions when it comes to God, the Bible, what it means to follow Jesus. And we would like some answers to those questions to give us confidence in what we believe. And so my prayer is that in this sermon series, you will be encouraged, that you will be given some reasons on why you can know that following Jesus is the absolute best way to live. Let's get into the sermon. There's this this newlywed couple, and they were going to have a ham dinner, right? And so... The, the wife, she takes the ham and cuts it in half. The husband looks at her and like, what in the world are you doing that for? Why are you cutting the ham in half? And the wife says, well, that's the way my mom always did it. And so she gets on the phone and calls her mom. Mom, why do we cut the ham in half? Thinking, knowing that there must be a reason why you do it. And her mom says, well, I don't know. That's just how your grandma always made ham. Why don't you give her a call and and see what's the secret? What's the secret recipe? Why is it that we cut the ham in half? So the wife calls her grandma and says, Grandma, why do you cut the ham in half when you make it? She said, well, when when, uh, back then... The ham was always too big for the pan that we had, so I had to cut it in half to get it to fit. So you see here we have this generational thing of cutting the ham in half, but not really knowing why do you do that? What's the purpose of that? And I think when it comes here to baptism, there's that same thing. There's this understanding of, hey, this is important, but we don't really know, well, why are we doing this? What's the point behind baptism, right? What's this all about? Because there's a lot of different thoughts about it. See, I have this, this book here, Baptism understanding four views so there's actually a bunch of books like this they're called the four views book where they get different perspectives and people write a chapter on their perspective and then the other three people then respond to their perspective it's all trying to understand these different views of what baptism is so there's four different views represented in this book on what baptism is all about Four, and that is only a part of people's understanding of what happens or what the purpose is when it comes to baptism. So the problem here with traditions and the problem is that we don't always know why they're important. So how do we discover then the importance of baptism of after hundreds of years of disagreement, right? Because things began to change. You see it 
divergence of opinions starting already in the second century. Like, so how do you begin to make sense of all of this? Well, one of the things that we need to understand is that there is no disagreement that it's important. Everybody says, hey, you need to be baptized. But why? Why is it important? Why should we be doing? What's the place of it in a believer's life? What makes baptism important? So for us to understand this, I think we need to start at the beginning. We need to start at the beginning with baptism. So we're going to take a look here at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven and on earth. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus says... This is the last kind of command that he gives his disciples before he ascends into heaven. Go and make disciples, baptizing them. So whatever the purpose of baptism is, right, it's essential to the disciple-making process. In fact, I would go to, as far to say is that you can't truly be a disciple of Jesus without being baptized. Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptizing them. Well, we have to understand then, what did they, what did the disciples understand about baptism? What was their understanding of this? And so that might help us understand the purpose of baptism in the whole scheme of things. So in the second century, in second temple Judaism, that's the time of Jesus, the time during the second temple, Herod's temple, baptism was practiced by the Jews. So first of all, it was practiced like John baptized. And so we see that John baptized people in repentance. What he was doing was he was calling people out for for not following the Torah, not being faithful Israelites, and to repent, to come back, and to follow the Torah for the purpose of what? Preparing the way for the Messiah, the way for Jesus. So, so baptism was this ceremonial washing thing where, some, where people expressed their transition from not following the Torah to following the Torah, that that's what they are going to do. They make this repentance of not doing this to doing this. They change their lives. It's a pledge that I'm going to change my life. Baptism was also practiced at this time in Judaism to when people wanted to convert from paganism to Judaism. So how do you do that? 
Well, in, in, in the Old Testament, in the law, right, what we see when people became, when, when God made a covenant with his people, there was this uh, washing, especially when uh, this washing, this ceremonial washing that people would go through. And so, uh, so this is what's happening. Baptism becomes this ceremonial washing where people are washing away their paganism and declaring that, hey, I want to follow the God of Israel, Yahweh God, and I'm going to follow the Torah. And so they were baptized, indicating that there's this change taking place, and they were circumcised. That's how conversion happened. So Jesus takes this common thing that they would have understood and says, now this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this practice, but now it has new meaning because when you baptize, you're not just baptizing and asking people to repent, to come back to the Torah, or you're not asking people to convert and come into the old covenant. No, now you are going to go out, you're going to make disciples, and you're going to baptize them, you're going to ask them, and they're going to declare their allegiance, their faith in me. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not just a formula. That's kind of how we've adopted it. So when we do baptisms, what, what do I say? I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It becomes this formula. But actually, what that means is that a person is putting their trust, their loyalty, their, their uh, allegiance into God, Yahweh God, into Jesus, the Messiah, and into the Holy Spirit. That is what is happening. So the disciples, as they are going out with the gospel, and they make disciples, they are, they are establishing a new covenant community. And how do you become part of this new covenant community? You are baptized, declaring I am going to follow Jesus. My allegiance, my loyalty is with Jesus. I am all in with Jesus. That's my new direction in life. That's what's going on. And that's, that's, what, that's how the disciples would have heard it. And so 10 days later, the disciples begin to put this into practice on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is the first record that we have of Christian baptism. So remember what happens. The disciples, there's about 120 disciples, people who had been following Jesus, who stayed with Jesus after his crucifixion and, and resurrection. And they're in the, the upper room. They, the, the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they start to preach the gospel, and what is the gospel that they preach? It's not like you guys are sinners and you need to be forgiven and you need to come to Jesus. The gospel that they preach, and look at what Peter preaches there that's recorded. His sermon is all about Jesus is the Messiah. 
Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that we've been waiting for. Because remember, even though these are, are people from all over the Roman Empire who spoke all these different languages, they're all Jews. The, these are all people who have been expecting the coming of the Messiah. They've been waiting for it. They've been praying for it. And so Peter is making this this, this claim, and he's laying it all out, that this Jesus, who they would have at least heard about, because people, when they made, made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, they would stay those that's 50 days after for Pentecost too, because this is probably a once-in-a-lifetime trip, so they're there for that entire time. So they knew what happened at Passover. They knew what happened with Jesus. And Peter is saying, this Jesus who you heard about, who you saw crucified, this guy is the Messiah. So Acts chapter two, starting with verse 36. Acts chapter two, starting with verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter's, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called to the Lord our God, by the Lord our God. Then P Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to fellowship, and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Jesus is the Messiah, and he's the Lord. That's what Peter wants them to get. So what these Jewish people would have heard is, the Messiah you've been waiting for, you missed. You missed the Messiah. You're not part of his kingdom. You're not part of what God is doing to restore this world through the Messiah. You've missed all of that. And so their response is, their question is, isn't how am I saved from my sins, but what should we do? How do I become part of what the Messiah is doing? How can I be part of his kingdom? What is it that I am to do? And Peter's response then is, repent and be baptized. And so remember, when we come to these words, sometimes we've, we've watered down these words so much that we don't hear what, what they really would have meant. So when Peter is saying, repent, he's not saying, feel sorry about your sins. Feel sorry that, that you aren't living the way that you should. 
That's not what repentance is. When we're talking about kingdom language, which is, is what this is all about, right? Jesus came and the whole gospel is about, hey, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and, be, and, and repent. That's what Jesus said. That, that's, that's the foundation of, of all his messages. When we're talking about kingdom and we're talking about repentance, we're talking about in language that we would more closely understand, we're understanding in terms of defection, a change of allegiance, a change of, 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 of loyalties, a change of kingdoms. Right? So in, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul says, hey, you've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's dear son. So Paul is saying, or Peter here is saying, you need to repent. You need to declare that you have been wrong, that you have, rather than following the way that God wants you to live, you've been living opposite of that, and you need to declare that, that you are going to follow God's will. You're changing your allegiance. You're changing your loyalty. And he says, you need to repent and you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Again, this isn't a formula that our baptism isn't, isn't made more true because we add in the name of Jesus into it. That whole idea of in the name of Jesus is that we are giving our lives to him. We're giving him our loyalty. We're giving him our, our allegiance. We are declaring that we're all in with Jesus. So we're declaring, hey, I am wrong. I've been wrong. I've done wrong. I haven't followed after God. From, but from this moment on, I am following Jesus. I'm all in on Jesus. I am changing. And so what baptism is, is, is it gives us that, that moment, that marker that we can look back on and saying, yes, from that moment on, my life changed. I am all in with Jesus. And so when Paul in Romans chapter 6 says that, don't you know that when you were baptized with Jesus, you were united with him? And Paul is making this, this argument like you can't go on sinning because at your baptism you declared that you were done with that way of life and now you're all in with Jesus. You're united with him. You're going with him. And the writer of Hebrews, so, 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 so baptism helps us remember like, yeah, that's the reality of my life. That's a marker. That's a, a signpost in my life that that's my reality, that I'm done with this life of sin. I'm following after Jesus now. The writer of Hebrews does the same thing in, in uh, chapters uh, 9 and 10 when he has this elaborate argument about entering into the covenant and, and becoming high priest so that we can boldly enter into 
God's presence. Because we, our hearts have been sprinkled with the blood and our bodies have been washed with the pure water. Because he is appealing back to their baptism, because this happened, you can boldly go into the throne room of God. Because your hearts have been purified and your bodies have been washed clean. You're a different person now. So baptism marks this time, this transition. But in our culture, baptism just seems weird. What's the point of being dunked underwater? What what difference does that make? Our culture downplays the importance of rituals and traditions. But maybe this will help. If we look at one tradition that our culture still recognizes, at least up to this moment in time, and that's a wedding ceremony. I think a wedding ceremony helps us understand the importance of baptism. So at a wedding, you have a few different elements that need to be there for it really to be a wedding ceremony. You have the declaration of love, for one another. You have the vows. In fact, I would say if there are no vows, there is no wedding. Like vows are extremely important because this is what you're, you're promising to one another. This is what we're going to do for one another in sickness and in health until death do us part. That's an essential part of the wedding ceremony. You have the giving of the rings, right? Because the ring then signifies I am in covenant, in a covenant relationship. I'm in a marriage relationship with this other person. Like this reminds us, and it's a sign to other people that yes, I'm in this relationship. And then there's the giving of one another to each other. That's the kiss. Like those things are there. But when you go through a wedding ceremony, there's not a whole lot that changes, at least physically for people. Hey, the two people are still the same people. The love that they have is, is still kind of the same. Not a whole lot has changed. But on the other hand, everything has changed, right? Their status, even with the state, has changed. They have moved from being single to married. Their status within the community has changed from being single to being a couple. Like, things have changed because now, before, to break that relationship was going to be painful, but it was as simple as moving away from one another. But now, after that wedding ceremony, to break that relationship requires a whole lot more. Everything's changed. And so, in baptism... The same is, is going on. You can look at yourself and you're like, oh, you come out of the water and like, ah, not a whole lot's changed. 
But on the other hand, everything's changed. Everything has changed because now you're in a relationship, in a covenant relationship with God. That's that's that marker. That's why baptism is so important. So just like a married couple can look back on their wedding and say, that's when everything changed. We as Christians look back on our baptism and say, that's the moment when everything changed. Everything changed. Baptism marks the transition between being outside of God's covenant people to being within God's covenant uh, people, that covenant, that covenant uh, community. So pay attention here to what happened, to what happened Now, before we go there, um, because Peter also says, do this, right, for two reasons. For the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, this promise is for you, your children, and even for the Gentiles, or, or Gentiles, or for everyone who's far off. So Peter says, this thing of baptism, this promise that's all connected, this is for everyone who wants to be part of God's covenant people. So for the forgiveness of sins and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we hear this, and in our translations, we hear this as, and this is where I think part of the confusion of baptism comes in, is then, are you saying then that I'm not saved, that I don't experience forgiveness of sins, that we can't have the Holy Spirit until we're baptized. And that's not what is being said here at all. Because really what is being said is that, is that, uh, is that these things are become guarantees once we're in the covenant community. We're already experiencing them before. So even during the the, the the sermon that Peter preaches, he quotes from Joel, and part of what Joel says that everyone who cries on the name of the or calls out on the name of the Lord will be saved. We often want to know when's that precise moment that we are saved. I don't know if the Bible really ever tells us that. Rather, the Bible says these three things. It says that you are saved, that you are being saved, then you will be saved. See, salvation is always a process that we're involved in. And so we are saved that moment that we call out to God to save us. And when we believe in Jesus to come and rescue us from, from uh, sin, And, and when you read through the book of Acts, you see that the Holy Spirit comes before baptism and after baptism. So, so there, but you can never be certain of these things until you're in a covenant relationship with God. God formalizes it. He, he says, now... I have promised these things and you're in relationship with me and so they will happen. 
They will happen. You can count on it. The reason we can have our insurance of our salvation isn't because of how good we are, isn't how faithful necessarily we are. It's because we're in this relationship, this covenant relationship with God, and God has promised it to us. So it's this process. We can be saved. In fact, I'm, I would even argue that you won't call out and you won't even ask to be baptized until you are saved, until you start to experience that reality in your heart. But baptism becomes that next step in this process of being saved. And so we don't want to neglect it. We don't want to treat it as unimportant because it is that capstone, it's that moment that we can look back and say, yes, I am saved. But notice then what happens then after these 3,000 people are baptized. They form a new community. Why? Because these are the new people of God. This is the Messiah's people. This is part of the Messiah's kingdom. And what do they do within this new community? They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Right? What did Jesus ask the commission the disciples to do? Go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them and teaching. That's exactly what they move in to do. They form this new community, and they, they're teaching one another. They're encouraging one another. They're remembering their covenant. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. And they're praying with one another. These guys are all in. They're, they're breaking ties that they had before, and they're coming together in this new community to live and to learn how to be like Jesus the Messiah, to represent him well, because now they're bearing his name, right? They're bearing the name of Jesus. And one of the Ten Commandments is, do not take the Lord's name in vain. That's not about the words that come out of our mouth. It's about whether or not we are honoring Jesus or God with the way we live, Don't take on the Lord's name in vain. If you take it on, live it out. And so that's what they are doing. But now that brings us to how should baptism be done? Now, the Free Methodist Church recognizes both infant baptism and believer's baptism. So how should we do this? This is the other part where we get a lot of controversy and and questions about. So how should we do this? Well, let's just take a look at infant baptism for a moment. Infant baptism, you have the, the parents, the parents' faith saying, we want our child to be raised in part of the covenant community, uh, in God's covenant community. And so they come and, and present the child, have the child baptized. Now, we see precedent of somebody else's faith, right, helping being transferred to a, another person. The paralytic. Jesus helped the paralytic who's lowered down to him, and right? Not based on his faith, but the faith of his friends. And Jesus says, hey, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. Why? Because of their faith. So, so the, the parents are saying, hey, this is what we want for our child with the expectation that one day that child would Make a declaration of faith 
and a commitment to follow Jesus themselves. And that's kind of what the purpose of confirmation is all about. So when we have those elements of water baptism, of that ceremonial washing, and this this declaration, this confirmation, like we are going to follow after Jesus. That's what's all about. Don't think God is up in heaven and said, saying, oh, you're out because you didn't do it exactly like this. God knows our heart. But with that being said, I do think there's a best practice when it comes to baptism. And that's believer's baptism. That's where you have somebody who says, yes, I believe And now I'm going to be all in with Jesus. That's the model that we have in the New Testament. And and that's not even debatable. Everybody agrees on that. That the model of baptism we have in the New Testament is that of believers, of people believing, coming to faith, and then declaring, this is what I want. I'm going to repent of my sins, my partnership with the kingdom of darkness, and I'm all in with King Jesus, and I want to be part of his kingdom. And that's what we see. And so I think because of that, that's the best practice when it comes to baptism. So where does that leave us? How does that all apply to us? I'm going to read here from, from Acts chapter 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? And they replied, the baptism of John, Paul said. John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. They were about 12 men in all. Here we have this strange story. We don't really know a whole lot here because Luke doesn't share all these details with us. They're believers, they're disciples, but are they just disciples of John who are making their way out to prepare their way for the Messiah and they haven't really heard all that has happened so they're just, they haven't got caught up to speed? Uh, or what, what? We don't really know. What we know is that they are missing something in their relationship with God. They're faithful. They want to prepare the way for the Messiah They're all in on the Messiah's kingdom. But they've missed out. They've missed out on the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, hey, John's baptism was just of repentance. It was just calling people back to be faithful to the Torah. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You need to declare your loyalty to Jesus, the Messiah, the one that John was pointing to. And so I think it's worthwhile for us to ask the question, what was the purpose of my baptism? Why was I baptized? Was I baptized simply to be part of a church? Was I baptized simply to please my parents? Was I baptized uh, because I thought it was the cool thing to do? That happens a lot at, at church camp. 
Why were you baptized? And I think it's worth asking, God, what about my baptism? What should I do with it? How should I look at it? We need to see baptism as a gift. Baptism is a gift from God so we can be confident about our relationship with him. Baptism should never be a dividing point. And if we make it that, then we've missed the whole point and our heart isn't right with God. Baptism is God's gift to us that we can look back at a moment in our life and say, yeah, I'm all in with God. And even in those moments when I don't feel the Holy Spirit in my life, when I wonder about my forgiveness of my sins, I can look back and say, because I'm in this covenant relationship with God, even if these things don't feel real in the moment, I know they're true because God has promised that they're true and I'm in relationship with him. And so we shouldn't make baptism a point of division. Rather, we should see it as a gift where we can say, yeah, I am experiencing God in my life and I know that God is going to keep his promises. So here's our big idea this morning. Baptism provides us with an opportunity to declare that we're all in with Jesus. Baptism provides us with an opportunity to declare that we're all in with Jesus. That's what we need to be. Are we all in with Jesus? Does he have our loyalty? Does he have our allegiance? Are we all in with Jesus? Our challenge is this week is to pray. And hopefully you will. And just pray, God... What about my baptism? What should I do about this? Is this something I need to act on? Or are we good? Like, is this really what happened at my baptism? I don't want to make any assumptions about any of your faith and your relationship with God. Because I don't know where you're at. But I know that baptism is a gift. It's a gift that served me well over the years. That I can look back and like, yeah, I'm all in. God's forgiven me. I have the Holy Spirit. And so I just, just take some time this week and pray and ask God, what should you do with baptism? It could very well be that, hey, you're good. But it might be that God's saying, yeah, you may want to reconsider. You may want to consider about being rebaptized. Because there's something missing in our relationship with one another. And so, and so I think that's just an, a crucial part thing to do. And so because of that, I'm setting aside March 26 as a baptism Sunday. So anybody that feels like God is asking them to, to be baptized will have that opportunity.
don't have to worry about the questions that we may have. God's not afraid of them. There are good answers to the questions that we have. And I am confident that as we seek these answers, God is going to use the whole process to strengthen our faith and make us into the people that he created us to be. Keep on asking those questions and keep on looking to God.